So you've got your prefrontal cortex at the front and in the middle of the brain, you've got what's called the limbic system, which is our primary area focused on safety. Now, if your brain feels unsafe, you can't go for things that make you happy. It's like no matter how hard you try to force yourself to go for something that you really want, if you feel unsafe about it, the brain's going to keep pulling you back going, it's not safe, it's not safe, it's not safe. So the first thing you have to create for your brain is safety. But the way you do that is not to fight against the things that are making you unsafe. It's actually creating conditions for what you do want. So while I'm focusing on what I don't want, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. What am I not focusing on? Mm. The very thing I want, mm. right? You yeah. can't do both at the same time. Mm. You have to make a decision. And this is what Archangel Gabriel was talking to me about. You have to decide. Mm. And then once you've decided, it's like you draw a line in the sand and you go for it. You'll right. find that the energy associated with each is different. If you focus on what you don't want, notice your energy. It's much more contracted. Welcome to the Inner Sanctum online group sessions with Karen Swain. This recording is some highlights from our two to three hour online sessions where I teach deliberate creation each week and once and sometimes twice a month, we invite a guest teacher to share their wisdom and their work. Enjoy the highlights and if you'd like to join us, please go to karenswain.com slash inner sanctum and sign up. Hello and welcome to the Inner Sanctum online group sessions with our very special guest today, Josie Thompson in Queensland. Hi, Josie. Hello. <laughs> I was just saying to the group before, I forgot that Queensland is an hour behind Sydney. So Josie's up nice and early on a Sunday morning to meet and greet the little tribe and ask, uh, answer our questions and share her story. But I'll just read a bit of your bio out for people that um, I've had Josie on the show and we've explored Josie's st story on the show. But for people who haven't seen the show and don't know Josie's story, Josie knows what it's like to face the odds as a two-time cancer survivor and has proven that the odds can be beaten. She speaks from first-hand experience about bouncing forward with a post-traumatic growth disorder and about how to reframe adversity into opportunities for triumph and success. Josie is living proof that winning and succeeding in life is a mindset and teaches others how to embrace change from life challenges in radically positive ways. An avid learner, Josie completed master's, a master's study in neuroscience and combines 15 years of corporate experience with almost two decades of coaching to corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. She's a multi-award winning coach, speaker, trainer, business owner, author and single mom of two. Josie has been awarded the International Gold Stevie Award for the Maverick of the Year. You've got a slew of awards here. Mm. Asian Pacific Award in 2007, Australian Business Women's Coach Mentor of the Year 2014. Uh, wow. You've been, awarded, you've been awarded a lot of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, so she's going to share her story of triumph and survival and mindfulness teachings and the special message from spirit that would change your life. 
<laughs> so not we're... much really <laughs> look uh, as we've been talking about before I turned on the recording there's you know life challenges are happening now so all those skills that you have about surviving depression and physical illness and succeeding in life are more pertinent now than ever before where should we start I'm um, I'd really love to know you know what is the the, the major challenge that your people here are grappling with at the moment so that I can I can kind of weave elements of my story that would contribute most to where you are right now yeah has anyone got anything that you want to discuss hey Matt I see Matt's arrived hey Matt hey Matt anything, well you know what we've been discussing is um taking the path of least resistance uh which is a path that we wouldn't choose to take if we weren't coerced into it. So, yeah, I don't know, making decisions to do something you don't want to do because it's easier for life. Shirley's got a hand up. Shirley. I, I think the biggest challenge when I was listening to the interview with the two of you, uh, it, it was, and thank you for being here, uh, was when you were speaking about uh, where your cancer was in your throat and finding your voice to speak, not necessarily against, but for um, what you stood for. And that's my challenge is to authentically say, this is where I stand um, without getting into the fight. Um, and I know you spoke about fighting for, as opposed to fighting against, um, but I think it's, authentically using my voice without getting into that, to stay in the, the love, to stay in the flow, to stay in this place where I feel centered and I want to connect. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, great. Like that. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Vladdy says here, how to manifest your knowing. What do you mean by that, Vladdy? Do you want to elaborate on that? Do you want to be on camera? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. What do you mean by how to manifest your knowing? Like how to be, well, whenever you view a situation, you know that there are a lot of filters which are basically all fear. And you know that you yourself, you can easily um, remove those filters and see the truth in it. And how to really manifest in this truth so that mm. not only you see it, but the ones around you too. Mm. And that's a tricky one because what's truth for you is not necessarily truth for anybody else. You know, and that's that sometimes is the issue that we come up against, that we make assumptions that everyone thinks the way we think and they don't. You know, like I, I do a little bit of work with... Um, cancer and leukemia patients because of my experience with cancer and I used to make an assumption that people wanted to fight for life they wanted to live with they got sick and I used to go to hospitals and I used to hold people's hands and I'd you know champion them to to fight on and then one day I never forget it was actually a really close friend of mine and he was struggling. He was having chemotherapy and I have views around that, but I have to respect everybody's views. 
that they have for themselves and this goes back to respecting other people's truths and what's right for them and their path and their journey and allowing that even if it's someone that you desperately love you've just got to allow their path um and I remember looking at him one day and I said to him do you want to be here do you actually want to fight this and he looked at me and he said I'm tired I've had enough and that's the moment when I realized that I was fighting the wrong fight with him I was actually pushing my own agenda and I realized that what he wanted was grace and peace right now to allow him to transition you know with with less of that fight in him and so that's what we worked on the last the last four days together we just worked on you know forgiveness and getting to absolute inner peace and pure you know, peace within himself so that when he did exit, it was by choice and he was absolutely ready. You know, he didn't have any regrets. There were conversations that he really wanted to have and we manifested them. We made those happen uh, without attachment to outcome because they didn't always go to plan, but at least he was able to complete on certain things that were unresolved and unfinished in his own life that were causing agitation and aggravation in his body so yeah i'll um i'll talk on that because i think that's really important thank you yeah is anybody else that wants to share oh it was really just to follow on from what um shirley said actually uh when you're in a space that others are totally not in that same space don't flow like you and it's that value of bringing yourself back to self and grounded and centered and connecting with yourself again yeah, absolutely. You know, I've really found that that's been a, a necessary thing of life. Mm. I think a lot of people, you're absolutely right, Barb, a lot of people are being challenged right now because there's a lot of separation going on. And, you know, when, when we all know that the highest frequency around is love and if we stay in that spirit of love, it's connecting, it's all, you know, loving. But right now people are buying into fear. And when you put love against fear, you know, love is greater, but fear is stronger, right? And there's a different energy. Like I think there was a book uh, Hawkins wrote called um, Power Versus Force. Now, when you think about en the energy, the vibration, the frequency of love, that's power, right? But fear is force, you know, and, and fear is strong, you know. And for those people that don't have that same sense of um, uh, I want to call it knowledge, but it's not the word. I think you you know what I'm talking about here. Those people that are different layers of awakeness or consciousness uh, hook into the fear and it drags them. It's so strong and it's a lot. It really mirrors back what's going on in the brain. And I really want to start there today. I want to share a little bit about my story and I really want to share um, one of the, the game changer for me was learning uh, neuroscience and understanding how this thing in between our ears actually operates to serve us or work against us but it's only when you're awake and you've got your own hands on the wheel that you can take charge of what's going on otherwise you're a backseat driver and those primal instincts to for safety are going to take over and therefore you're going to get hooked in by that strength of fear if that makes sense so I think that it's probably where I'll start today, if that's okay. 
Fabulous. You're actually yeah. answering. Matt has a question here. Avoid being pulling back into pull back into fear and into the 3D world. You're actually answering it. And I'm just going yeah. to remind you just to maybe pull your hair back on the oh, yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. that yeah, it gets the microphone. Yeah. Please okay. continue. All right. So I'll start. Um, okay, so I was uh, brought up in a very strict um, Italian large family. I'm eldest daughter. And when you're the eldest daughter of a large Italian family, duty and obligation are your middle names. And you learn that, you know, uh, to get your parents' approval, um, you have to please them and appease them. And it feels good, you know, to get that. And I guess I was, I will just say this in this space, okay. So I know my mother and father absolutely do love me. Uh, but I was born before wedlock and in the 60s that was actually not favourably looked upon um, and so they had to run away. They, um, they eloped. So it was a very challenging time for both of them. Whilst they loved me, they didn't necessarily want me at the time. It was not ideal. And then I was not born male um, and that was another disappointment. And, and on top of that, uh, I overheard a conversation that only maybe 10 years ago I recalled, which made a lot of sense to me about why I found it very difficult to accept or receive affection whenever anyone started hugging me or wanted to hug me. I would feel this instinct to just, with, you know, contract. And I could never understand why from, from the time I was a little girl, I was aware of it, but could never understand why. And I was, when I was studying neuroscience, I was speaking to my lecturer who happened to be um, a psychotherapist as well as a, uh, a psychologist and a neuroscientist. And he said to me, Josie, knowing what you know about the brain, is there anything that's still unresolved for you? And I said, actually, there is. I said, it's made a lot of sense about why I'm still here when really if I'd listened to the doctors, I'd be dead by now. Um, but I don't understand this conditioned pattern of behaviour that I have that I'd really love to understand. And so I spoke to him about it and he said, are you ready and are you willing to understand it? I said, absolutely. So he took me to, through a timeline process and he said, when was your first experience of being aware of that contracted energy? And, I, and he put me into a form of trance, but not really trance. I was well and truly awake. And I said to him, ah, there was a conversation between my parents. And he said, what was it? And I said, well, mum's telling dad in Italian, and I don't speak Italian fluently anymore. I understand it, but I don't speak it. And uh, that she's pregnant. And my dad lost it. He was really angry. And, you know, in those, there's a very strong word in Italian called vergogna, which means uh, shame. And, uh, you know, mum felt really bad. Dad was really angry. Um, and this little one decided to be birthed a month early. And in those days, you were put into a humidity crib, like a glass container where no one could actually pick you up and, and give you affection. So in that first month of life where you're bonding, um, 
I didn't have any of that. And I chose it because there was that conversation that was had that I actually overheard and remembered. And I was telling this to the, the lecturer and he said, how do you know this? And I said, because I heard it. And he said, where were you? And I said, I was in my mother's womb. And that it was so strange even for me. And I was like, what? How could I possibly know that? Surely I'm making this up. So I saw my mum several months later and actually asked her. I said, mum, did this conversation actually happen? I warned her before I asked. I said, look, I've, I've, I want to ask you something and it's a bit tough. And she said, I expect that from you. I said, okay. So then I asked her and, um, and all of a sudden I saw her go from sad to mad right like in an instant and she was like don't think for one second that your father and I never loved you and I said mom this isn't about you I'm asking you did that conversation actually ever occur and she just looked at me and said how could you possibly know that and I said because I heard it and she was you know we're both crying at this stage and and I said to her, Mum, have you noticed that since I was a little girl, every time you try to hug me, what do I do? And she said, you pull away. I said, yeah, I do that with everyone. And I said, and I've always wanted to understand why, and now I do. I said, because that little one heard that conversation of not being wanted and contracted and decided that I would never let anyone get that close to me to be able to reject me ever again. And it was a moment of like complete healing because I looked at mum and I said, mum, I don't blame you. I forgive you. You know, forgive me too. I didn't know what I was doing all those times you were trying to give me affection. I didn't understand what that pullback was all about. And now I do and I don't need it anymore. You know, and I was able to say, I absolutely love you and, you know, she was like, yeah, just hearing the words, even though she didn't feel she needed my forgiveness. It was very healing for both of us. And she said, don't say a word to your father. And I said, I don't need to say anything to dad. You know, I love dad and dad's, dad loves me. I know he loves me, even though I'm not a boy and we laughed about it, you know. Um, and, you know, I just feel everything's clean now. But that's actually a moment that kind of, started me thinking how you know at what point do we get conscious you know at what point do we start to understand stuff that you know Vlad was asking how do you know how do you just know well actually there's a simple answer to that and the answer is you know when it's truth when every cell in your body expands when every cell in your body says yes and you know it's not truth when your body goes, contraction. So there's two energies, right? Love is like this. Fear is like this. And you can actually physically feel it physiologically. You know, love expands and fear contracts. Like your whole body starts to talk to you, whether it's in your belly or in your chest or in your throat or in your head. You know, energetically, this is good. This is truth. This is right. This is fear-based. And you just know it. And when I took into, and I think it was um, Barb, you were saying, you know, not wanting to hear what's going on out there. I don't listen to the news because I feel my whole system contract. I don't want to hear any more of that. I don't. I'm not in denial 
I understand what's going on. I see things coming up on my phone. I read things that expand me. I read things that contract me. And I'm trying to stay away from the contractions as much as possible. Although, as Vlad um, alluded to, you know, the government here is putting on a lot of restrictions for people who don't um, adhere to their mandates, which are not legal. Um, and at the moment, I'm tying my line and my line of truth, and I'm respecting that, and I'm respecting the decisions that are being made by people that I love and care about around me, as hard as that is. So my, my daughter, my two, the closest people in my whole life are my daughter and my son. My daughter is fully vaccinated. She works in um, healthcare. And I remember falling to the ground when she told me. I was just so distressed. And I said, sorry, it's, it looks like an overreaction, but I'm, I'm just very sad and I'm, I respect your decision. You know, it's you're doing what you need to do. And then I thought my son won't do it because he was across all the research that we've been looking at together. And I, he went and did it two weeks ago. And uh, I just had it one day, I gave myself a whole day on my own just to cry. still feel it and I have to I have to let it go I have to respect his path and I hope I'm wrong I pray I'm wrong but getting back to what you said Vlad when you just know stuff um, uh, and then your dreams start to reiterate it and maybe Karen you can tell tell us something about dreams and how that kind of works um, I'm just more mindful of every opportunity I have to connect in the spirit of love and so it's important, it's a test for me now to not go into that fear energy and have that affect, you know, what opportunities I have to connect and do things with my children because there's a part of me that wants to withdraw uh, because, you know, there's energetically, there's a, a um an exchange, we know we're all living energy fields when we're in other people, the presence of other people. I get, I get physically, I feel like I want to be unwell. Um, and he's only had it done a week and a half ago. But when, when he's sitting across from me, I feel like I want to vomit. And that's energy. Like I don't know what that is. And it feels really weird and strange. But I know it's affected his field. And I just need to, you know, take a breath, take some water and get some, a little bit of distance but still be in the same room with him. Um, so it's, um, it's interesting times. Like I'm being challenged in other ways and in, in constant ways and all I do is just tune into what's right for me because that's what I'm responsible for. I'm responsible for keeping my frequency up. I'm, I'm responsible for keeping my mindset um, connected to my truth and honoring that and choosing to still be an expression of love in the world towards those people that make decisions that are completely different to mine and that's okay it is what it is 
So I'm kind of bouncing around, but, you know, um, so I guess I wasn't really conscious of my connection to spirit. Um, not really. I mean, as a child, I, I was born into a Roman Catholic um, upbringing and I believed in guardian angels and I used to catch public transport and I wouldn't let anyone sit next to me because that's where my guardian angel sat and I remember saying that to people and people looking at me like I was odd and if people sat there I would get up and move it's <laughs> like don't sit on my angel um, and then I lost it I kind of lost it um, and just entered this 3D world, you know, full on without that spiritual connection, which I, I had was religious for me until um, I turned 24 and I was diagnosed with cancer the first time. And up until I had the surgery, we didn't know what it was. And so I was just going in there for some kind of routine surgery and was fine. And then it was only after surgery when the doctor came in and advised me that it was malignant and that I had six months to live. That was the moment where I wasn't aware of any fear whatsoever. It was really interesting. It felt more was a very surreal conversation. I was aware, but without any reaction. It was, it was an experience I hadn't had before, whereas I could see um, my then husband who was sitting beside me fall to pieces, like literally started bawling his eyes out. And I was looking at the doctor and I'd, I'd understood what he said. I heard what he said, but there was no reaction. There was just this over, overwhelming calm within me. And he looked at me really surprised and said, do you understand what I've said to you? And I nodded. And he said, do you understand what malignant means? And I nodded. And then he suggested, well, we need to do another surgery because we didn't take everything out. We didn't realise it was going to be cancer. So when can we do that? And I was looking at my husband, feeling a little upset, a little bit angry that he was upset. You know, I wanted him to be strong for me. But anyway, um, I remember looking at the doctor without even thinking. These words fell out of my mouth. And the words were, if you don't do this first thing in the morning, I am never going to let you touch me again. And that's exactly how the words came out. It was very calm, it was very precise, and it was very assertive. There was no fear. It was like this knowing voice that came out and said, this is what you will do, otherwise it's done. And then once everybody left that evening, like my, when my husband left that evening, he stood at the door and there was this silent exchange. And again, there was this knowing that he wasn't going to come back. And he never did. But I knew he wasn't going to come back. And it was okay. It was strangely absolutely okay. And then that night was the, probably the longest night of my life because I had to wait until 8 a.m. for the next um, surgery. I went into that surgery not feeling scared. I didn't pray. I didn't. But I was during the night I had an argument with, with God and I said, how could you do this? You know, this is not the God that I've grown up to understand and know. You wouldn't do this to, to good people. I don't get this. And then I just let that conversation go. 
um, had the surgery. I was in intensive care for two weeks. So I was in and out of consciousness for two weeks. And in that time, I can tell you every conversation that was had around me, by whom, where in the room they were seated, and I was unconscious most of that time. So everything that was discussed between my family members, my siblings, my best friend Sharon, who came in to juggle for me. And I remember she was standing there juggling and I used to love watching her juggle for hours. And I remember opening my eyes and there she was standing in, in the ICU juggling and I'm going, the only words I uttered to her, I said, why are you juggling? And she looked at me and she said, because you asked me to. And I had no recollection that I'd actually asked her to juggle for me. But I remember asking her that question and then going back into unconsciousness. <laughs> so there were some really bizarre things that occurred in that two weeks. But what was fascinating was that I actually remembered what my family members were talking about and where they were seated, even though my eyes were closed. And I was actually unconscious. And during that two weeks I, is when I actually flatlined and experienced NDEs. I never even knew what they were. And that's when I had my, my sense of awareness that had actually left my physical body and was floating at the top of the ceiling, looking down at my body. And I was aware that an aspect of me was here. And I was aware that an aspect of me was there. Um, and I was completely calm. There was no, it's, I almost want to just call it bliss. I just felt like the, I was surrounded in this whiteness, colour white. And I could see my physical form. I could see the nurses trying to revive me. I could see the flat line on the screen. And I was completely serene. And then I was just floating. I had that sensation of floating. And then this very stern male voice came in from the left side and said, it's not your time yet. And then that happened again two days later. So exact same experience, exact same voice. And each time I was just propelled back into my body. And that's really the, the point where all of a sudden I was aware that there was more to this experience of life than I was conscious of before and I didn't even know where to start the search but I knew that that was the time that I became a more conscious seeker in my life that's when I went out to buy every book I could about this is before internet of course in 1991 uh, about cancer what is the nature of it what is it how does it work why did I get it how do I fix it you know how do I conquer it? And I bought, I think it was about 17 books and I read them and I had more questions than answers. I don't think anyone really knew. And the doctor was asking me, well, telling me that um, I should have chemotherapy. And as soon as he said the word, my body contracted. And I wasn't aware at the time about that nuance of contraction and, and expansion, but now reflecting back, I was starting to tune into my body's wisdom and my body was just contracting. And I went, what else can I do? And uh, he said, well, we can do radioactive iodine where they inject radiation straight in. 
And then I had a, a one-week intensive radiation by intravenous treatment, which they don't do anymore because they know it kills people. But at the time, I was blindly being led by a system that I didn't understand. And even though I read up about it, I wasn't the expert. But energetically, my body started to communicate to me. And I think my body had been trying to communicate to me before I was actually sick. But I didn't, I didn't really have that connection and I didn't really understand what it was trying to say. So every time I felt that tightness in my throat, which is where I had the cancer the first time, I didn't understand that that was my body saying, speak up, you know, say no, you don't want to do that. You know, why are you pleasing and appeasing everybody? And that's where my blockage was. That's where the cancer grew because that's where I needed to learn something really significant in my life so that was um that was the first calling and that was the first that was the introduction to tapping into my own inner knowing um so i had that intensive radiation treatment the week before i went in for that treatment i was phoned by uh, bhp it was big global mining company i was based in melbourne i worked for them down there and there was a job opportunity in Brisbane, which I had not applied for. I hadn't even seen it because I was unwell. And the HR manager called me at home and said, why haven't you applied for this job? And I said, well, I'm, I'm unwell at the moment. You know, I'm having treatment for cancer. And he said, that's no excuse. Come up and have an interview. So the week before I, uh, my intensive treatment, I flew to Brisbane and I left Melbourne, it was a freezing cold rainy day and I flew into Brisbane and it was bright blue skies with sunshine. And as soon as I landed on the tarmac, I lifted the sleeves on my suit and I lifted my face to the sun and I felt so good. I went and had the interview and they offered me the job on the spot. And so now I was aware, like I came up here just with curiosity, let's check it out. But now all of a sudden I went into contraction because I had this battle going on inside my body between my head that said, don't be silly. You need the support of your family. You know, you're going through this tough time. And my heart saying, go. And I was like, oh, what do you do? What do you do? And so I went, when I got home, I prayed that night. I said, I don't know what to do. Let me know by morning what I'm meant to do. And I woke up completely calm and knowing that I needed to come. So I picked up the phone and I said, yes, and that was it. And it was almost like straight away I could feel the expansion when I thought about me and what was right for me. And then when I started tuning into my family and what they wanted, I started contracting because I knew that they were not going to approve. You know, they were scared. They'd organised this priest to come and give me my final rites because they were convinced that I was dying. But there was something in me that went, no, I know I need to go. And I trusted that. I came up here. I changed everything about my life. And I'm still here. If I had listened to the doctor, if I had believed everything that I was told, I would not be here. If I had stayed in Melbourne, I know I would not be here today. I think it comes back to that question that Vlad asked about, you know, how do you know? Um, yeah, I think... People know in different ways. I've got a girlfriend who's a kinesiologist and does muscle testing. So she'll ask a question and she'll know if it goes straight through. 
um, it's it's okay. And if, if there's resistance, it's not okay. Like everyone has a different way of doing it. For me, I know my body has been trying to communicate with me for a long time and I'm much more sensitive now, much more awake, much more attuned to what my body's saying. If my body says you need rest now, I go to rest rather than push through, which was my old pattern. Um, I know that for in 2010 when I was diagnosed with my brain tumour, before that, leading up to that, I know that my I used to overthink things. I used to overanalyze things. If people ever asked me, how do you feel? I would always answer from a head-based perspective rather than a body or heart-based perspective. And still now I've, I've got to watch that. Um, and so for me, I, I've learned that our mental and emotional experience becomes physical. So when we start contracting, in different areas of the body, that's where our healing needs to occur. So, you know, base chakra type uh, diseases are usually primal factors around your birth family, anger related, you know. Um, for me personally, it was throat speaking up, head, get out of your head and start sinking into the wisdom of the heart. So they were the major ones for me. And so for those people that are willing to learn and grow and, and willing to explore more consciously what's going on around them, you know, this is what I help them come to terms with and find that, that peace, that forgiveness, that healing within themselves so that they can own themselves, they can be totally responsible for themselves and not take on the world and the responsibility for everybody else in the world. And like even with my children, it's like, I birth them, I don't own them, and they have their own paths and got their own journey, and I have to respect that. And I'm responsible for mine. So I need to keep my frequency um, up and continue to be that, that source of love and light in the world because that's what I choose to be. I mean, my parents, even to this day, still feel that I ran away from them. They didn't see me as moving towards my healing or moving towards something. They saw me, they saw the other side of it, me leaving them. So it was a kind of like a bit of a betrayal to them uh, because they wanted to keep me safe, you know, as a parent. We want to keep our children safe. Someone's sick, you want to look after them. And, and as a parent, it's really difficult to usurp that, that primal um, you know, uh, calling that we have, you know, to these little ones that we birth into the world. And even though they grow up, I don't think they ever stop, you, you ever stop referring to them as your children, even though they're adults, you know. Um, and that love is unconditional, uh, as you know. And so for me, I do know what that feels like absolutely for them now. And, and I've actually had the conversation with them and said, I know that you've seen it from the perspective of me leaving you but I also want you to consider that it wasn't that's not what I was focusing on I was focusing on getting well and I knew that for some strange reason the sun was calling me and I get to sit outside in the sun every day for 10 minutes and that is my resourcing you know that is literally me just I feel so at ease so at peace so well when I'm sitting on the grass and just soaking in the sun 
And I do that every day and I feel so blessed. But I also know that my parents have ache in their heart and I feel, I feel sad about that, but it's not my responsibility. So I keep them close in other ways. I speak to them every day. I tell them I love them often. Um, and so I do what I can to channel that love towards them, even though they desperately want me physically home with them. I try to get there as often as I can, but with COVID, I can't travel at the moment. Um, even with an exemption, it makes it really difficult. But And my, my son is going to graduate from university in January. I can't even attend that. So I know it's temporary and I know um, it will pass. But these things occur as a one-off and it's like, well, am I willing to compromise that am I willing to not be there on that really one important day that means so much to him and you know this is where you my my own sense of alignment and integrity is being questioned because that's a tough tough call because I love him beyond anything but I'm not willing to have a vaccine for it because it doesn't feel right for me yeah and so yeah. that's me respecting his decision and he's going to have to respect mine. And I know he won't like that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm risking disappointing the person I love the most in the whole world. But yeah. that's what's going to happen. Yes. Unless the landscape changes and who knows what's around the corner. You know what? That's exactly right, Bob. You know, like they're saying these mandates are in place until the 17th and then the 17th the borders open and I've just got a feeling that a lot of things are going to become uh, evident uh, that things will be revealed that things will, are being challenged and they're being challenged with peace you know um, so I'm just holding space for possibility you know what's meant to be will be I'd like to be there I, I can be there virtually Right? It's not the same, but I can still see it online and I can still participate online, uh, which is new. Um, so, you know, we'll just take one day at a time. Mm. It's yeah. interesting because the other thing I thought too, when you were saying, Josie, how you did that radiation treatment and you said they don't do that anymore because that can kill people. Mm. But, you know, then I guess what's happening now could have an adverse effect or not too. However, you know, you're here, you're fine. Mm. So it's like, it's tricky, isn't it? It is and tricky. It certainly I... become mind games, can't it? And, Absolutely. You know... Absolutely. Our faith gets, gets tested all the time. And I've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of work since then. Um, I've really built my own uh, connection to spirit. I meditate every day. Um, that's something that I've cultivated since moving up here and having that practice. I, you know, I'm still learning to, uh, everyone connects to that wisdom in different ways. You know, Karen's been helping me a little bit too. Some people see, they're clairvoyant, you know, some people hear, some people sense and I, I sense, you know, I just know my body is the channel for me. And so when something's right for me, my body tells me swiftly, and when something's not right for me, my body tells me very swiftly as well. So just becoming really sensitive to uh, the awareness of being inside this physical form and what is the energy telling me? 
I don't have to see, I don't have to hear. I just know through that sense, that sentience that I have. And everyone will get it differently. Maybe, Karen, you can say something to that. Throat. I totally get the throat chakra thing. It's something that I've been struggling with my whole life and still... I speak my truth. I have a podcast show. You know, I'm speaking my truth all the time. And yet I still get every single time, and I'm getting it now, every single time I speak a truth that I know is is not going to land with people who are well and truly entrenched in another truth, uh, which is a third dimensional truth. I get this, I get this like, um, fear arising and i know that that's lifetimes of being persecuted for speaking outside the box and it's something that many light workers and star seeds and people that come to me speak about that fear of even we had a meeting at david's place the other day a young girl who's who's losing her job because she's not she's not going along with the mandates and she's a healer and i'm like i'm just having this conversation with her and you know over a cup of tea and she's like, I'm scared to like step out as the healer. It's much easier to have the corporate job and have the corporate paycheck, you know, coming in every week. And uh, I'm scared of ridicule and I'm scared of being judged. And, I'm, you know, there is this fear of being judged and ridicule. And here we are at that very same moment. So this is what we're being asked. And many people can't do it. And I totally get it that they can't do it. And then they'll get another opportunity to do it. Do you stand up for a new world or do you continue with the old world? So we're being shut out of the old world. And personally, for me, that's not a problem. I'm happy with that. My neighbor said to me, I so, feel so sorry for you. You can't go shopping and you can't do this and you can't do that. And I said, I'm not concerned at all. I don't need anything, you know, like I don't need anything. And if I do, I'll buy it online. Uh, participating in the old world and everything that the old world offers and being shut out of the old world doesn't concern me. It really doesn't because I see a new world. I see a new world. And when I was at the rally last weekend and I was watching it yesterday, so do millions of other people who aren't even spiritual, but they are willing to stand up for what they believe in even though it's going to shut them out of the old world, like going to the university to see your child graduate or going, you know, to mother daughter day at school or, you know, participating in an old world. And what we're being asked to do is to create a new world because that old world is crumbling. So these, this decision that we're asked, being asked to do at the moment is not a decision about health at all. It's a decision about do we stand up for what we want to create or do we just continue to participate in what's already been created? Does that make sense? What do you think, Josie? I think it's really getting to the heart of of where we sit in our, our level of consciousness and it's testing us it's it's sort of saying so who are you going to choose to be right. how are you going to choose to to show up you know right. is it just for you 
or is there something greater like why are you here you know what do you want to tap into and it's very easy to take the path of least resistance. I want to go to my, my son's graduation. I want to go and see my parents interstate. I want to continue to have the freedoms that I've been able to enjoy in this lifetime. But there's something in me, this is my truth, right? There's something in me that says it doesn't feel right to go and have this, to be forced to do something that doesn't feel right for me. I don't know why. Like logically, I, I don't, like the logic, there's, there's too much conflicting information. And I've always been advised through my own meditations that if, if it's not absolutely yes, then it's absolutely no. If it's not an absolute yes, like that expansion, yes, I know this is right, then you just don't do it. Because every time I go against it, I know that, you know, that, that inner loving guide, the voice of the wise advocate that I call it, um, comes back and says, see, I told you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think I've, I've got to 54 now and it's like, I want a life of no regret and I don't want to be forced to do something that I'm going to regret. If I want to do something, I do it with the free spirit and with love and I know it's the right thing to do, not because I have to do it. I'm over that. I've had a lifetime of duty and obligation and doing things to please people. And whilst this gives me some liberties, for some reason my body's telling me it doesn't feel right for me. So mm -hmm. for now I'm going to hold out. I might get to a point where I, I do absolutely want to travel where I go, okay, I'm just going to do it, and I'm mm. going to ask, I'm going to um, deploy my healers, and I've got some really great friends that are amazing healers that can help me to transmute, transcend, um, and transform uh, any of the energy that does, it's not for my highest good. You know, I can do that. I can call on that, but at the moment, I don't feel compelled to do it. Mm. You know, um, I don't want to buy into the fear. It's got yeah. to come from a spirit of love. Matt has a question here. I'm curious to learn more about how you came through the cancer. Did you re recover when you realized the cause and made some life changes? What a great mm. question, Matt. Do you want to come on camera and say that or just happy for me to read it out? Oh, I think that probably covers it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'd say that, you know, both times they're slightly different. But the first one, like I wanted to understand, I've never heard the word cancer. In 1991, you barely ever heard it. Um, I think there was a distant auntie who had had breast cancer the same year and a girl at work um, who was a really close friend who died of bowel cancer that year. But it wasn't as prolific as it is now. You know, and no one in my family had ever had it. Uh, there was no history anywhere. So I, I was trying to understand it because I didn't understand what it actually meant. And the fact that the doctor was saying you've got six months to live was like scary stuff. And then going back to work and everybody else knowing I had this thing called cancer was automatically assumed it was a death sentence. But there was something in me, Matt, that went, we're fighting to live. I'm fighting to live. So I was aware from the outset that there were two options. I could either fight against the cancer, I could fight against death, or I could fight for 
life. And again, it was my body that told me the difference because one felt much better than the other, right? And I fought for life. I fought for getting better. I, I just tuned into sitting in the sun every day. Like, hello, I wasn't even aware how much I really loved that until I was this lightning bolt of a moment came into my awareness. It said, you've got to take better care of yourself, girlfriend. You know, and so everything, my diet changed. I started reading about, you know, foods that were, were better for me. I was really eating unconsciously before that. I didn't eat unwell, but I knew I could eat better. I certainly do so now. Um, you know, I cut sugars out of my diet. Um, I cut people out of my life, you know, people that where I could feel my body contracting if I was around them, you know, negative people. Uh, versus being around more positive people and some of those people unfortunately aren't you related to right um, and that means limiting the amount of time that you're around them doesn't mean you, you don't go around there but you can limit it and say yep I'm here for an hour what, what do you want to do or you know I've got somewhere I need to be at this time so you just manage it differently so that you know I took much greater responsibility for my own vibration my own mentality and that was a really big thing that I learned that what I gave my focus and attention to expanded so if I started focusing on things that freaked me out or created more fear and you know once you get cancer and you experience a fear of death you do transcend that um, the next symptoms you get it's not uncommon to immediately think, oh, my God, is that cancer? You will have that thought. You can't stop that thought coming in. But the idea is that you don't continue to feed the thought. It's just a thought. So one of the things I learned, like halfway, so that the first cancer was in 91. I went and I remarried several years later, seven years later, and had two beautiful children who I, would, that would, I was told I would probably never have children again at all because of the treatments that I'd had and I was blessed to have two children and then that second marriage broke down and in 2009 it was Christmas Eve I was diagnosed I started having weird sensations right in my head I the right side of my face would go numb um, sometimes I'd start slurring and sometimes I'd get these really weird headaches that I'd never had before so I had a, an MRI done. They found that I had a tumour in my head. And so I went through Christmas and New Year with my whole family around me and I didn't want to tell them until after Christmas and New Year. So it was horrible going through that festive period with this secret inside going, I've got a brain tumour and I don't know if I'm going to survive this, you know. And I was actually pretty scared because this time it wasn't just me. I had two children and they were six and eight years old. The first time it was only me and I didn't know what I was getting into because I didn't know it was cancer. But this time I knew it was a tumour and it was in my brain and I'd started Googling what that meant and I didn't like what I was finding. So I was kind of in between, am I going to be okay? I'm scared I'm not going to be okay, you know, between the worlds of that. And then I went and saw a spiritual um healer in Sydney who channeled and one of the voices that she channeled was actually the original voice that spoke to me in 1991 that told me it wasn't my time yet 
And I didn't know who this voice was at the time. And when I went and saw this channeler uh, and this voice came through and basically said, this channeler did not know that I was about to have surgery two days later. She did not know anything about me at all. And this voice said through her, in two days' time, you'll be given a choice, but you must decide. And I didn't know what that meant. So I asked this voice, I said, what do you mean? And, and this voice said, in two days' time, you will decide whether you come back to your home because you belong to my choir or whether you return and your work starts in earnest. And then I remember before she started, she said, you can ask whatever question you want. And if, if it freaks you out too much, we can stop, right? And I thought, I want to know who this voice is. And so I asked, I said, who are you? And the voice said, Archangel Gabriel. And all of a sudden, like all the hair on my head, on my body just stood up and I just knew, you know, that knowing I knew it was Archangel Gabriel and I cried and I was like, okay, that makes sense, the messenger. And after that session, I still didn't know which way I was going to go. I still didn't know whether I was going to choose or decide to return or whether I would choose and decide to remain. And I remember waking up and when the doctor came to see me, and I had the, the, the follow-up meeting. You know, he said, I'm really curious. I need to ask you something. And I said, what's that? He said, when we gave you the anesthetic, you said something, and I want to know what it means. And I said, what did I say? And he said, you said, I've decided. And I did not recall actually saying those words at all because I'd still gone into surgery unsure which way I was going to go. I had given away a lot of my valuables and belongings. I got my, my will drawn up. I bought puppy dogs for the kids just in case, you know, I wasn't going to make it because I really wasn't, I wasn't clear which way I was going to go. But clearly going into anesthetics, some aspect of my consciousness made that decision. And then when I came out of that, I couldn't walk or talk properly. Uh, for six months but I had learned enough studying neuroscience about this concept called neuroplasticity which basically means you can rewire and reprogram the brain so I actually knew what to do so even when the doctor's kind of looking at me going I'm not sure that you're going to be able to walk or talk properly again I'm glad he I couldn't talk because what I would have liked to have said probably wouldn't have been very pleasant I just got be I just got determined I came home probably for a couple of weeks I was pretty angry because I was just frustrated like I wanted to get words out and the words weren't coming out properly um, I wanted to move my body I wanted to walk and my body wasn't responding and I remember sitting outside one day and I just surrendered I was so angry and then I just let go and then it was just this beautiful peace beyond the anger when you just surrender and I just went oh my goodness you know this moment is so perfect. I was sitting on the grass, I was in the sun and I could see every blade of grass and it was just like, wow, this moment is a miracle. And then all of a sudden my mindset changed. My mindset started focusing on 
rehearsing what life is like with speech fully repaired, with my capability back. And I could see it in my mind's eye. I could rehearse it. I was seeing it and rehearsing it over and over and over and over again. And what I've learned through neuroscience is that when you're trying to start, when you're trying to break a habit, you never, ever, ever, ever focus on stopping what you're trying to, to break. You have to focus on what you want to start, right? You have to focus on what you want and you have to repeat it and then you have to catch yourself getting it right and every time you get it right, you acknowledge it. It's like positive um, uh, affirmation or a reward to the brain to do more of that. So in order to create a new habit, there's four things. You need to focus on the new. You need to repeat. You need to uh, give yourself positive reinforcement. And I can't remember the fourth one right now, but they're the, the three primary things. Focus on what you want, repeat, 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 and give yourself positive acknowledgement or reinforcement every time you get it right. And after, you know, 21 reps gets it in the brain as a, a wire, and then three times 21 hardwires it in. So it becomes more of an unconscious pattern when you've done it, you know, 63 times. Um, but that's how, you, that's how you transform habit and behaviour. So it's about getting intentional. So for me, the second time um, healing this uh, was about deciding again what I wanted. And I wanted to be well. I wanted to be able to speak. I wanted to be able to walk freely. And I just got determined and I did it. Now, can everybody do it? No. I don't think so. But if there's a chance of it, I can show you how to do it. Oh, my God. That just needs to be reiterated. Don't focus on what you're trying to overcome. Focus on what you want. Hmm. It's, it's actually hard. It's impossible to stop a habit because that very act of saying, I'll do it in a practical way. Uh, I'll say I've got this and I've got this. This is what I don't want. I don't want to die. 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 This is what I want. I want to live. I want to live. I want to live. Notice that the brain has to switch gear to do both. The brain cannot be in the I don't want land and the I want at the same time. When you focus on what you don't want, you're kind of going, I don't want that. I don't want that. You're trying to push away from. And that is the domain of the brain. That's what the brain is wired for, to actually know what you don't want, because that's our primary safety mechanism, right? We are born with this instinct to know what we don't want to keep ourselves safe. And that's actually a good thing to know what you don't want. But you don't want to live there. And I'll show you why. We also have this capacity to know what we want and when we focus on what we want we're always focusing forward when you say you want something you're always moving towards it when you say you don't want something you're pushing away from something yeah so when you say you want something you're looking forward you're actually occupying your prefrontal cortex the frontal lobe of the brain and i call it the front seat when you're in the front seat you can direct your life however when you're focusing on what you don't want you're actually now in the threat state of the brain, which then puts you into the back seat. 
So you've got your prefrontal cortex at the front and in the middle of the brain, you've got what's called the limbic system, which is our um, primary area focused on safety. Now, if your brain feels unsafe, you can't go for things that make you happy. It's like no matter how hard you try to force yourself to go for something that you really want, if you feel unsafe about it, the brain's going to keep pulling you back going, it's not safe, it's not safe, it's not safe. So the first thing you have to create for your brain is safety. But the way you do that is not to fight against the things that are making you unsafe. It's actually creating conditions for what you do want. So while I'm focusing on what I don't want, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. What am I not focusing on? Mm. The very thing I want, Mm. right? You Mm. can't do both at the same time. Mm. You have to make a decision. And this is what Archangel Gabriel was talking to me about. You have to decide. Mm. And then once you've decided, it's like you draw a line in the sand and you go for it. Right? You'll find that the energy associated with each is different. If you focus on what you don't want, notice your energy. It's much more contracting. But when you start focusing on what you do want, all of a sudden it's much more expansive and it puts you in that front seat. And when you're in the front seat, you become much more innovative. You become a lot more creative, right? You can problem solve more effectively. You can make wise decisions when you're in this toward motivation. And that's what the, the, you know, I didn't understand why I went to study neuroscience, but I'd always started studying it before I had the brain tumor. It's almost like the universe was preparing me for the application of what I was about to learn. And then once I actually did it and I walked the path myself, I can actually now speak with authority for other people going through their own traumas, their own adversities, their own diseases to say, if you actually want to, and you're willing and you're open to make the changes and take responsibility for where you're at, I can show you a path that will more likely lead you in that direction, but only if you want to. You know, one of my really close friends passed away in May this year and she had cancer and I didn't want her to die. I was really upset. I was like, I don't want you to die. She didn't really want to die either, but she was, she was, her whole body was riddled in cancer at the end. And she was really fearful. And she said her, in retrospect, where she went wrong was her instincts was telling her not to do the treatment um, paradigm that the doctors had recommended. But all of a sudden, everything she knew about cancer became real when it became her own physical experience. And she didn't have, have any idea of the tremendous fear that she was going to be feeling being in that situation herself and so it had now gone from theory to application and she couldn't execute on her belief system because the fear was greater her fear of death was greater so even though her body her knowing was saying uh that doesn't feel good it doesn't feel right but i then the battle between the heart and the brain kicked in the head was going you've got to do this you've got to trust the doctor the doctor's an expert you know he's saying that this is what you've got to do and every fiber in her body was saying no um and that's what she did 
And anyway, we had her for four months and, you know, we got to have some really amazing conversations in that time. We made every moment count um, and it was, you know, uh, I'd like to say a peaceful exit. It was a very difficult exit for her. She was struggling to breathe and she did not have peace and that was really hard uh, to see, you know. Even though we kept saying, you know, forgive yourself, forgive yourself, you know, give yourself love. Your body's doing its best to get you through this experience, but you know, it's 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 not immortal. You know, maybe this is it. You know, it was it was challenging. I have had so many aha moments listening to your story, Josie. <laughs> Just how about everybody else? Has everyone had aha moments? Yeah, lots of nodding heads. Um, we could, we need to put that, you know, like the choice between focusing on not wanting to die and focusing on wanting to live seems like a big choice. But what you said about focusing on what you want instead of focusing on what you don't want, is in every choice we make, even the little choices, mm. like even yep. choosing to eat the chocolate cake or not eat the chocolate cake. You know, like I'm just thinking I had a conversation at Eddie's place the other night about wanting to lose weight um, and not and not go and not doing anything about it. But I keep focusing on like I don't want to be this fat. I don't want to be this fat. I don't want to be this fat. Instead of focusing on Oh, I, I want to feel healthier. I want to feel healthier, yeah. you know. So I've been doing the exact opposite of what I teach, which is a classic. I'll tell classic. you a funny, a funny story. Um, one year, it was I think my son would have been maybe, he would have been maybe five or something, and we're driving in the car, and it was New Year's New Year around New Year, and Kyle and Jackie O were on the radio, and they're a big you know radio announcement group and they're quite popular and they were talking about new year's resolutions and he was saying you know oh i have the same new year's resolution every year you know like i'm and i'm still fat i don't want to be fat and i'm on diets and i do this and i hate this and i hate that and you know like and i don't understand why i'm still fat you know so please call in and share with us what your new year's resolutions are going to be and my son's in the back seat and he goes, Mummy, why don't you ring and tell him why he's still fat? And I went, oh, Harrison, I can't do that, you know. He's going, yeah, we can. And he took my phone and he rang and he got through the little shit, you know. And they're going, and he's like, hello, my, my name's Harrison and my mum can tell you why you're still fat. And this is on the radio. <laughs> oh, my gosh, okay. And so anyway, Cole gets on and he goes, well, get your mum on the phone. So mum has to pull over on the side of the road. And um, he says, okay, so your son tells me that you can tell me why I'm still fat. And I said, well, you know, studying neuroscience, the fundamental principle is that wherever you focus your attention on, where focus goes, energy flows, right? So you amplify the very thing that you focus your attention on. So if you focus on being fat, you're actually attracting all the conditions to manifest and reiterate the very thing that you're focusing on, which is not, you know, on, which is being fat, you know, not wanting to be fat. So what you've got to start focusing on is what you want. So what is it that you actually want? 
And he's like, oh, I've never thought about that. I said, it's actually harder to think about because our default system is to know what we don't want. We actually have to get conscious and to shift gear and take responsibility to focus attention on what we do want. And that's where our will gets tested, right? And so anyway, then it goes to commercial break. And it comes back from commercial and he goes, we did some research over the break. And you know what? The Dalai Lama agrees with Josie Thompson in that we have to focus on what we do want. And I'm like, <laughs> I got it right. You know, the Dalai Lama agrees with me. So that was pretty cool. Congratulations um, for getting on mainstream radio, especially those crazy, stupid radio shows. <laughs> Fantastic, uh, Josie. Congratulations. Uh, for putting that message out of congratulations on radio. Think about it for everybody that's here now. Think about in your life right now, think about some of the things that you're challenged by, that you're battling, that you're struggling with, and notice what you're focusing on. Just just think about what you think about. And you, you probably find that you're thinking about what you don't want to have happen. And if that's the case, please do not feel wrong or bad about it because that's how the brain is wired to behave. What you need to do is learn how to work with the brain. And so the way to do it is don't get mad with that thought because if you do that, you give it more energy. The fact you're trying to stop that thought, you're giving it more energy. This is why we don't stop things. We have to start things, right? So the idea is when that thought comes in and it freaks you out, you go, thank you, brain, for reminding me again of what I don't want. What is it that I do want? (laughs) That's all you have to do. Refocus, refocus, refocus. And you may have to do it 50 million times, you know, it doesn't matter. But the more you do it, that becomes the new pattern. And eventually with rehearsal and repetition, this will become your new mode of operation. And that's how you get to hardwire a new habit. Absolutely, absolutely. And we can overlay this into the conversation that we were talking about before. People are wanting to make choices that they wouldn't normally make, but it's becoming too hard not to make that choice. So I don't want to be locked out of society. I don't want to not go to my, mm-hmm. um, you know, friend's wedding. I don't want to, you know, so it is a, it is, because it, we, yeah, we're pre- being presented but what, yeah, what do we want? What do we want? I want to, I want free. I want a more loving society, more unified society. So for me personally, I'm just, I can only talk for me because everyone knows what yeah. they want. I want a world where we don't have governments coercing us into taking medical mandates that if we don't want to do it, like I want a freer world. So participating in the mandates is not moving towards what I want personally, and that's my choice. Yeah, and lots of thanks here. Thank Mm. you so much for the inspiration. I have to run Diane, granddaughter's dance recital. And um, Matt, thank you. I found it very helpful. I can draw parallels in my life and with my loved ones. Yeah, thank you, Josie. This is a beautiful reminder I needed right now. Yeah. Yeah, has anyone else got any questions? But you've just got to understand the brain desperately wants you to be safe. The brain desperately is on your side, but it has these primitive instinctual reactions that don't um, that hold a different kind of wisdom, right? So the primal wisdom is all about safety. 
But then you have this intelligence that comes from your prefrontal cortex, which isn't fully developed until our mid to late 20s, right? So the way it works is the, the limbic system's in the middle and then you've got the four, four lobes of the brain that sit over the top. So that's kind of a mini version of the brain. That little part in the front is your prefrontal cortex, right? And that's the first thing that you lose when this guy is in charge. That's when you flip your lid and you start reacting. So you have to literally calm your farm or calm the brain down to be able to think more logically about things. So the, the limbic system that's wired for safety is going to make you say, just tell that person to F off. The frontal lobe will go, oh, you might want to think about that first. The limbic system says, I don't care, get him out of my face. The frontal lobe goes, well, there's going to be consequence. So it actually thinks beyond the here and now and it has your long-term plans and goals in mind, whereas the limbic system is all about keep me safe, keep me safe, keep me safe right now. And it's all about me, 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 right? The frontal lobe considers the we and considers the bigger picture. Mm, interesting. Would you call it, um, well, you're calling it the brain, but as I see it, and I suspect that the brain is attached to it because it's all a part of being human, the ego. So the ego is the part of us that is, tr that is trying to keep us safe and, and, is, and is also separating us from the unity of our knowing. So when I'm teaching people um, to connect with their higher guidance, you know, the brain or the ego or the personality or whatever you want to call it is saying, you can't do this. You're making this up. You're making this up. Nah, you can't do this. You can't do this. Nah, this is impossible. So you're battling with the critical mind that's trying to separate you from what you think you want, right? And I always say to people to never resist that part of you and just say, thank you for trying to protect me. Thank you for trying to protect me. I'll be back with you in a minute, but I'm going to go over here and do this thing. So you never resist that part of you that is trying to protect you. Mm. So I don't know. I would call that the ego. You're calling it the brain. I, I suspect it's the same thing. This is con kind of controversial because mm -hmm. it's the, kind of like the debate with the brain and the mind. Mm -hmm. right? And in neuroscience world, you can't have that debate because it's the words, the words are used interchangeably mainly through mainstream neuroscience. Mm. But for, for people willing to kind of push that a little bit, when you, when you just stop and think about it, I can show you physically what a brain looks like, but the mind, there's no anatomical uh, component, physical component mm. that is mind. Mm. Like, this is when we start getting into territory that becomes quite contentious, right? And then when, when you talk about the mind, you know, there's many voices in there. There's the voice of, you know, the higher self that, that tells you, that, that guides you, you know, that loves you. And then you've got this other voice that tends to contract you, right, and keep you limited or keep you in safe or comfortable or familiar space because that is you know, um, more comfortable and more safe because it's familiar, right? And so this is where I will always go back to the energy. So if that voice is feeling expansive, then that's probably the higher self and that is the voice that is going to have you directed in the I want arena. 
If the whatever that voice is saying, you feel a contraction, then I guarantee you, your, your focus of attention will be on the I don't want space. And it's either fear or love. They're the two, they're the two polarities, right? Absolutely. And if, if you're not in love, well, where are you? Mm. You know, and every time this comes up, say, well, what would love say? How would love respond to this? You know, and, and you know, you may choose to make a decision that you've been fighting for such a long time. Maybe there's a possibility beyond that to transmute, transcend and transform um, that opportunity for you. And maybe that's another lesson. Absolutely. There are always lessons, always, mm. always, always. And when we don't get the lessons right, we get infinite opportunities to try again over and over and over and over. Even, and as I'm thinking about your girlfriend who's just left her body, even those opportunities happen lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. Because life isn't about one life. Life is a continuum of infinite possibility and infinite choices and infinite chances to choose mm. again, to cho make a different choice, to make a different choice, to make a different choice. It's like we're given this, this beautiful earth experience. This beautiful earth experience gives us this playground of contrast through which we navigate and make choices, right? Mm. And, and even when it's really hard to make a choice, we're given another opportunity. I remember having this conversation about getting upset, you know, when, when something comes at you that you get upset about and you want to sort of maintain your peace and stay calm and stay clear-minded. And I, I remember, you know, having unteen opportunities that when stuff happens, like someone flips you in the traffic or someone abuses you or look, a million opportunities to, to keep your cool, right? And uh, I remember driving one day, it's such a clear memory and thinking, damn, I did it again. I got upset. I got angry. And then I made a conscious choice. I said, bring it on. Give me another opportunity. And I, and I remember driving, going through some lights and then having a realization, did, did I just ask for more drama to show up in my life? Like I've just asked for that, right? I have consciously just asked for more crap to come at me. And then I started laughing like, yeah, but the soul does, right? The soul says, give me cancer. Let's see how I can deal with that. Give me mandates. Let's see how I'll deal with that. Give me illness. Give me divorce. Give me like, bring it on. How am I going to make choices? How am I going to deal with it? How am I going to navigate this and maintain my connection to love, maintain my connection to peace and unity and expansion and creation? Oh. Yeah, life will give us infinite opportunities to choose and I, when I hear things like that I'm like did I really sign up for this did I really say I wanted to have cancer like not once not twice you know like three times and did I really say I wanted to know what betrayal feels like and did I really say that I wanted to be in abusive relationships like really who would sign up for that the soul <laughs> That's who would sign up for that, the soul. The ego wouldn't because the ego says or the brain or whatever, keep me safe, keep me safe, keep me safe. But the soul says, bring it on, <laughs> bring it on. And I think there's a, a part of me that also realises that 
these wounds become our gifts. These wounds become, you know, our pearls of wisdom that we then share like we are today with other people. And you may then see a possibility in someone's life who will then share with, with someone else. And it goes back to what Joseph Campbell was talking about with the hero's journey. You know, you go out there, you, you confront your demons, you slay your dragons, but then you come back and you share it with your tribe. And it's about that upliftment of your tribe, not just for you. And I feel that everything that's happened to me, actually, I realize now has happened for me to enable me to assist others in ways that I couldn't if I hadn't have walked the path myself. So how can you transform your traumas into your teachings? And I think that's the blessing of the experiences that we have. And it's almost, it becomes our duty to do that. And do you want to share where people can interact with you further? Yes, so go find me on um, Facebook. So it's just Josie Thompson, no P. You can find me on Instagram. You'll find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can go to my website. I've got a few things there you can tap into. I do free mindfulness meditation practice every Monday. That's something you might like to check it out. A midday Brisbane time for 15 minutes every Monday. And so, and sometimes if I'm, if I've, if I've got other things on, I'll pre-record them and you get a recording. So I don't do that every week. But. Monday mid, so that would be Sunday night, US time and early two o'clock in the morning, Europe time. You've blown us away as usual. You're just awesome. Stay well, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks to see everybody again. <laughs> you too. Thank you. Thanks, beautiful. It's been amazing. Big love. <laughs>